Care. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Throop, here on a fine, fabulous, fantastic Friday morning, friends. And let me tell you what, I'm here to say that today we are not alone. <laughs> now, of course, as you know, that statement can be interpreted in many different ways. But before we get into that, friends, while you got your phone in your hot little hand, go ahead and click that little heart and give me some love. I know by the time it gets to the end, you're going, whoa, your head's just spinning with all the uh, wit and wisdom that's just been pumped out in the last, oh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Hey, welcome to all the new listeners across the country. This has just been an exciting journey. Hitting that 10,000 mark is kind of a thrill. And Friday morning, you know, let's just just mix it up just a little bit and start out by clicking that little heart, giving me some love straight off the bat, and then we'll jump in here. Now, as for the uh, statement that we are not alone... Uh, we can interpret that again, like as in we're not alone in the in the universe. You know, I was sitting and looking out the mountain last night, and the sun was setting, and there, my wife said, "What's that?" I said, "I don't know." The kid says, "What's that?" I said, "I don't know." It looks like a UFO. <laughs> there's a, there's no such thing as aliens. I said, "I didn't say it was aliens." I said, "It was a UFO. It's an unidentified flying object." But seeing things like that leads some people to believe that we are not alone in the universe. Now, uh, for some people, you know, they think, "Well, we're." We could interpret that as like, we're not alone in our faith, right? Uh, maybe you're a Jehovah's Witness, or, or, or you're a Seventh-day Adventist, or you're a Mormon, or you're a Lutheran, or a Baptist, or a Wesleyan uh, Methodist, or whatever. You know, you go to church because then you know that you're not alone in your faith. We're not alone in our faith, right? We're not alone in how we feel. Maybe you go to a woke uh, LGBTQ event and feel like, you know what, we're just not alone in the way that we feel. Maybe you go to a Black Panthers meeting and feel like, yeah, you know, I'm not alone in the way I feel oppressed about the world around me, okay? Uh, maybe we're not alone in our political concerns. Maybe you go to uh, a Democrat uh, campaign committee meeting committee committee <laughs> committee meeting or something like that and you're like yeah yeah those damn republicans those are a bunch of racist bastards and nah, nah, nah. so you don't feel alone you know we're not alone in our political concerns maybe you go to the upcoming lincoln day dinner hosted by yours truly for the click attack county republican party up there in the glenwood uh rodeo grounds that's coming up here coming up in july you can check it out uh Anyway, but you'd go there and you think, wow, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm surrounded by all these patriots, all these good old-fashioned red-blooded Americans who want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to once again return to the uh, central focus of what unites us as a country. Okay, Maybe we're not alone in our political concerns. And, of course, we are not alone in the world. Right? We're, we're just one little blip. We're, we're a, a drop in the ocean, a sand on the beach, uh, a, a single grain of sand, like sand through the hourglasses. This is the days of our lives. You know, we, uh, we are not alone in the world. We're like seven, eight billion people all around the globe. And, and we're all the same. Not <laughs> uh, a little tip in the cards there. Uh, obviously, context matters. So how we talk about, you know, uh, how we're not alone. 
Today, I want to, when I say we are not alone, I'm referring to our interconnected world. Yes, indeed. I read a book recently titled Our Global Neighborhood, holding it up here to the camera for the Patriot Club members. That pitches this idea of a convincing path toward a better world, right up there on the back of the book. It has all of the hallmarks of a classic intellectual read, including the fact it was published by the Oxford University Press. It was endorsed by Nelson Mandela, who said it was a timely work that deserves our full attention. And of course, it's chock full of inspiring ideas that were destined to take root in the fertile soil of aspiring young minds. All of the young egghead academics at Oxford, Harvard, Yale, etc. You know the club. Now, this book was published in 1995. Uh, do you remember what was going on in the world in 1995? Do you remember the world in 1995? We're talking back before the age of the internet, friends. So imagine being in college, perhaps in a master's or a doctoral program at some ivory institution, and in your mid-20s, you know how you feel on top of the world. You know, like your altruistic intent could conquer anything. You could eradicate hunger and and poverty and end violence and usher in an era of world peace. All you needed was a plan and a team to build the dream. Twenty-five ambitious years later, friends, here we are. And you know what? You've never you they've ne they have nearly pulled it off. That's what our global neighborhood is all about. It's all about the progressive agenda. It's all about collectivism and Marxism and socialism and communism. Because, yes, friends, it is true. The commies are taking over the world. Now, the first chapter of our global neighborhood is titled The Concept of Global Governance. Heard much about that lately? If you've been listening to this podcast, you certainly have. Uh, so the concept of global governance, uh, that chapter opens up with globalization and the need for a vision. It kind of saunters through the social environmental changes, discusses uh, agents of change in civil society, and concludes with enlightened leadership. <laughs> Have you heard enlightened leadership lately? Hello, young global leaders, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, and uh, you know all those bastards trying to take over the world. Okay, so here's the last paragraph from the first chapter of the book. The challenge Challenges facing the world today are vastly more complicated than those that confronted the delegates in San Francisco. They demand cooperative efforts to put in place a system of global governance better suited to present circumstances. A system informed by an understanding of the important transformations of the past half century and guided by enlightened leadership. Hello, word salad. I hope you're hungry, friends. But just got to brush up on the history real quick. World leaders met in San Francisco in 1945 to sign the, UN, the United Nations charter the un charter okay and the united nations charter was a document is expressing the universal hope that a new era of international behavior and governance was about to begin a new era of international behavior and governance wow did you know that the governance is all about directing human behavior i mean we've talked about that in prior episodes right so just like that 1945 a bunch of communists partnered with the royal crown and liberal democrats in the good old us of a to create a new global order that came complete with an international court that enforced international law with international peacekeeping troops okay that was 50 years before the book was written and the book our our global neighborhood is a report on the commission of global governance. So they're like, they're like, oh, uh, uh, how are we doing here? 
you know, are, are we pulling this off, you know, and uh, that's kind of just a crude crash course, but uh, it's true just the same. As far as the um, the communists being there, okay, we're talking about Lenin, you know, Russia, we're talking about a, a, any given number of dozens of socialist and communist countries, including China, uh, that were all signed on to this idea. And then the liberal Democrats, the woke uh, Democrats in the Americas. So, FDR himself. Now, fast forward. You know, it's Friday. We got to move fast. We got to keep going here. So today, July 8th, 2022, the world was shocked by the assassination of Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who was shot and killed while campaigning for the ruling Liberal Democrat Party of Japan. He was the longest serving leader in the post-World War II era. And according to reports, he was killed by a frustrated Navy veteran who was wielding a homemade gun. Now, think about that. Think about that. Holy smokes. I mean, that's that's devastating. Abe was loved. I, Abe, I say Abby, Abe. Every time I see his name, I think Abe. But, you know, Abby was loved all around the world. You know, he was loved right there at home. And yet this Navy veteran... Uh, who ostensibly loved his country. I mean, he was in the voluntary Navy in the Japan, right? So this Navy veteran, presumably a patriot, was wielding a homemade gun. He had gone through the great lengths to make a gun. Why? Because, you know, why homemade gun? Because Japan has some of the strictest gun laws in the world. Of course, that didn't save Prime Minister Abe from being assassinated by a homemade gun from a frustrated veteran. Just kind of chew on that. Think about it from the angle of psychological warfare. Think about it from whatever you want to look at. There's a, there, there are a lot of angles that we could riff on here, but I want to frame this in the context of global connections. Trump knew Abby, okay? Biden knew Abby. All the world leaders knew Abby. And they all had nice things to say about him. I think he was a really nice guy. He was a preeminent statesman and a truly enlightened leader. Ah, he frequented the World Economic Forum and helped steer the world toward a, quote, hope-driven economy, end quote. Now, I'm not an economist, but I think you know, you recall hearing something about Japan and, and rampant inflation and runaway, I mean, all kind of stuff, you know, the destruction of the dollar. I was actually in Japan 1999, running around playing G.I. Joe. We got a night out on the town, went out, was going to grab some food, and guess what? It was like 38,000 yen for a small meal, a bento box, okay? 38,000 yen for a bento box. <laughs> Holy smokes, you know, that's inflation, okay? So think abonomics, uh, abonomics. Think uh, the the hope-driven economy, and, and you have some idea where we're going here in our own hope-driven economy in the good old U.S. of A. Now, interestingly enough, in a 2019 speech to the World Economic Forum that casts his vision for the upcoming G20 summit that, uh, that, that was being hosted in Osaka, Japan, Prime Minister Abe had this to say, quote, First off, I would like Osaka G20 to be long remembered as the summit that started worldwide data governance. Let Osaka G20 set Osaka G20 set in train a new track for looking at data governance. Call it the Osaka track, the under the roof of the World Trade Order. Okay, World Trade Organization. End quote. 
Now, there's, <laughs> ooh, aha, <laughs> you know, that's exciting, okay, oh, let, let's do it, let's start it, let's start it out uh, right now, uh, worldwide data governance, now, I've been talking recently about digital governance, the summer of digital governance, and all that kind of stuff, that was last week's podcast, um, but just a quick side note here, you know, the Osaka Summit happened just a few months, this was June of 2019, it was just a few months before Event 201, which happened just a few months before COVID-19, I hope you guys are connecting the dots here, this was all in the second half of 2019. Now, in the second segment of my shifting perspective presentation, which is just, you know, presenting the data on COVID-19 and blowing the whole damn shandemic out of the water. Anyway, in the second segment of shifting perspective, I present the assertion and provide the evidence that COVID-19 was nothing more than a label that was being used to institute global surveillance. It was simply a data point that could be used to justify everything from testing to tracking to contact tracing to forced vaccination and quarantine camps. So I find it highly coincidental, you know, suspect suspicious to me that uh, oh hey oh, oh, Osaka G20 you know hey, hey, hey good old Abe Abi is uh, wanting Japan to lead the world in data governance now he's not doing it alone he's doing it with all the other elites so uh, anyway back to Abi you know I mean I don't want to brag but I was kind of calling it like it was and if you haven't seen the shifting perspective presentation it might blow your mind it also gets to see me with a great big beard and some bushy hair now as Prime Minister, Shinzo Abe voted for bold reform, including zero-waste shopping. Zero-waste shopping? Well, that sounds great. And pushing real hard for womanomics. Womanomics, you know, get more and more women into the workforce. That's just what we need. Now, uh, he also pushed, uh, was, was a leader in the push leading the world into a new era of stakeholder capitalism during the dawning of the fourth industrial revolution. And that, my friends, is where we're at today. Okay, that's the Great Reset. That's uh, Klaus Schwab, author of COVID-19, The Great Reset, also authored a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And all those links about uh, good old Abe, Abi Shinzo Abi all of that kind of stuff, that uh, those links are World Economic Forum links. So he really was just rubbing shoulders in there with these guys. I think we should pay attention to that fact. Now, one might speculate what aspect of this woke agenda had irked the inventive Navy gunman, uh, but that, of course, would be overlooking the more poignant takeaway. Any, any hope-driven economy that clamors to conform with the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the Radical Progressives Agenda 2030 is destined to be dashed against the rocks of reality. Hope and change is a great campaign slogan, thanks to the useful idiots in the world, but when the pain and impingement on personal freedom become unbearable, desperate people will do desperate things. And that's something that, that uh, we need to take note of right? Socialism is a soulless life. Americans, please take note, you know? Have you noticed how the majority of mass shootings in the U.S. are young leftists? They have been uh, heavily indoctrinated and conditioned. They've been demoralized to the point of desperation and insanity. Uh, that the, the conservatives have the bulk of the guns, uh, but we use them to hunt and defend ourselves and our communities rather than violently lashing out at society for the sake of some, uh, you know, perceived injustice. The contrast is so readily apparent, uh, unless the mind has been conditioned to be blind to the obvious, that I think everybody should be able to look at that and say, you're right, there's something going on here, you know, which brings me back to the fact that we are not alone. 
The socialist disease, friends, the socialist disease has been spreading throughout humanity since its very first evolution, late 1800s. Okay, They call it progressive, it's regressive, but it's mutated and it's changed and it's received new labels, but the disease is still the same. One's individual identity dissolves into the collective identity. The collective identity then denies the individual identity. We are told that we are all the same, but we are not. This is the myth of equality, and it is the root of socialist insanity. All right? And here's where it gets real. Top-down, excuse me, top-down central control aims to impose the will of enlightened leaders upon the ignorant peasants because they, i.e. the Marxist, communist, socialist, liberal, progressives, Democrats, whatever you want to call them, because they know what's best for you, okay? They believe that they know what's best for the collective. And because you are not an enlightened socialist, you are an ignorant, selfish, rudimentary human who deserves to be used and abused for the sake of the collective and the betterment of humanity. Do you see how brilliant their plan is? Because they can sell this stuff to people, okay? They write books about it, like Our Global Neighborhood and The Great Reset and, uh, you know, the Democrat platform. All right, you know, th the fact is that this ideology is the driving force behind The Great Reset. And, quite ironically, it is also the driving force behind the inherent resistance to such insanity because, because there is an instinctual urge to be wary of unnatural behavior. Whoa! Hey, that pink purple-haired freak dude with tattoos all over his face might shoot somebody up! Ha! You know, okay? Instinctual urge to be wary of unnatural behavior. Rural citizens my fellow country folk, being closer and more connected with nature, we are aware of the unnatural tendencies of our domesticated urban counterparts, all right? But when the urban overlords seek to impose their unnatural perspectives and behavior on we the peasants, we resist. Wait a minute. And they say, oh, come on, get with the program. You just don't, you're afraid of being replaced. You're just afraid of change. No, friends, it doesn't have a damn thing to do with being afraid of being replaced or being afraid of changes. If you guys are a bunch of sick bastards and everything that you do it is so completely unnatural, I can't believe you don't realize you have your head buried up your ass. It's got a stink up there. <gasps> Something's fishy. <laughs> now, all right, that's a bit of a simplification. Going a little bit long today, friends. Uh, I would love to take the time to explore this dynamic in more detail, but suffice it to say that collectivists have been infected with the hive mind disease. And that hive mind disease distorts reality and it drives delusional self-destructive behavior. Okay? Uh, this is samsara, by the way. Uh, the cycle of self-induced suffering. Never mind that. You know, delusional self-destructive behavior. These people are now running the country, and that is causing huge problems. That's a big, big deal. We can't let this go unchecked, right? Bare shelves, outrageous inflation, the pain at the pump, you know, being forced to mask up again, the vaccine passports. All this is just a few of all of the examples that are available to show just how uh, disconnected and insane it is. You know, I know that it can be difficult, to grasp just how disconnected from reality the progressives are. Uh, but here, here's an example, right? Recent polls say that 88% of Americans believe our country is on the wrong track. Though, I will say this, friends, I doubt, I doubt that many of those people really know why, okay? So 
when moms, you know, can't find formula to feed their hungry babies and it costs over a hundred bucks to fill up the tank, you know, even the useful idiots start to realize that something is wrong. That's important. Nevertheless, you know, nevertheless, despite reality crashing down all around them, the shameless liars in the Biden administration still have the audacity to parade out their latest diversity hire, Miss Karine Jean-Pierre, to make the absolutely ludicrous and outlandish claim that we are stronger economically than we have been in history. Mike, drop. You know, you gotta be sh- What? You know, we are stronger economically than we have been in history. Man, click on the video and watch her say it. It's just, you just want to reach out and smack. Come on, lady. Unfortunately, you know, I don't think that she's smart enough to realize that she's lying. She's just another useful idiot who's bought into the hope-driven economy. Hey, woo, hey, we got a lot of hope and change going on, so it must be good, you know. Never mind. (laughs) reality okay she completely denies reality by stating the exact opposite of what's true this is a symptom of the socialist disease it's delusional it's kind of like biden selling one million barrels of oil from our strategic reserve to the communist controlled chinese firm that his crackhead son invested in and telling people it will drive down the prices at the pump again It's absolute insanity. Friends, they deny reality and they demand that you do the same. They deny your rights as an individual and claim that they have the right to control your life. The globalists are assaulting your values and insulting your intelligence at every turn. You know, they are intentionally destroying your country and trying to convince you that it's for your own good. But is it really? Is that reality? Friends, I know that you know that is a rhetorical question. The good news is that we are not alone. We are not alone in asking that question. We are not alone in challenging the insanity of it all. And therefore, there is still hope for humanity. (laughs) Ah, Friends, that is the message of my heart for today. It is a fabulous Friday. I hope that you have a terrific weekend. Hey, if uh, you do me a favor, click that little heart, give me some love, and just make my heart soar like a hawk. If you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe. Did you know you can download the Substack app on your phone and it just makes the whole interaction a lot easier? Hey, and <laughs> above all else, it's going to be a weekend. You're going to be hanging out with people. You say, hey, have you checked out the torchreport.com? This guy, Luke, he's got a few good things to say. So the most greatest honor that you could possibly give me, the host who loves you the most, is to share this podcast, share these articles with a friend. Get out there and embrace this day. Have a wonderful weekend, friends, and I will look forward to talking to you again soon.